2 Kings chapter 17. Um, we have been studying the nation Israel. Uh, just a quick overview. Uh, they have split into two nations, essentially. You have the northern kingdom, known as Israel, the southern kingdom, known as Judah. Uh, the northern kingdom is going to come to an end tonight in our scriptures. We're going to see that they're going to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and that will be the end of them. Uh, so we'll, we'll see that. And we're, what I want you to focus on is the scriptures, chapter 17 is going to be real informative as to why it's happening. You know, and, and it's, you think, oh man, this was a nation that was once known as Israel, which that name Israel means governed by God. So they were, they were supposed to be known to the rest of the world as being governed by God. They were supposed to represent their God to the rest of the world. And now a big part, the ten northern tribes are going to cease to exist after we get through Second Kings chapter 17. So if you'll pick up with me in verse 1, we'll kind of begin our study through Second Kings 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Israel, at this point in their history, this is not a time of prosperity for them. This is a very difficult season. They're being pressed in on all sides. Their enemies are coming against them. And it seems like Hoshea there is their king. He perhaps wasn't as bad as the previous kings, but it still points out that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't mention that he walked in the ways of Jeroboam like it did in the previous kings, but either way, he certainly wasn't leading the people to a place of repentance or turning away from the idol worship, that they, which is what he should have been doing. Instead, he, we just read that he clearly is evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse 3 there, and Shalameser, the king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. The word vassal there it means servant or slave. In other words, the, the situation was Assyria had come up against Israel, and they essentially, Israel had put themselves underneath of Assyria, and they allowed him, Hoshea, to remain king as long as he paid them money or did what the Assyrians wanted him to do. So it was really a situation where if they, if they, as long as they behaved, essentially, they really have lost the ability to govern themselves. They're kind of already being taken over. But as long as they behaved, they were going to let him continue on the throne until we get to verse 4. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to So, So was the king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. So apparently Hoshea didn't really like the idea, didn't like the arrangement of being under the Assyrians. So he sends word down to the king of Egypt and there's essentially he's saying, hey, will you guys come help us out? So he quits paying tribute or paying money to the king of Assyria. Well, the problem with that plan, Assyria found out about it. And they're not going to take too kindly about it. They're not, they don't like the fact that, they're, that he's going behind their back. And therefore it says the king of Assyria shut him up and they bound him in prison. Therefore Hoshea, now he's put in jail. Verse 5 now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. Remember, Samaria was the capital city of Israel. The Assyrians begin besieging Samaria. It lasts for three years. This was common warfare in that day. They would cut off all the water supply, cut off the, anything they could. They would cut off entry and exit to the city. They would essentially starve them out or, or really just force them to give up. And they besieged them there for three years. The chapter makes it clear that the fall of the northern kingdom was not the result of Assyrian might or Israel's military weakness. The, the reason that the northern kingdom of Israel is being taken into, or being folded into the Assyrian uh, family or 
nation, whatever you want to call it, the reason that's happening is because God's judging them for their, for their rebellion against their Lord, the Lord their God. And Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, God actually refers to the Assyrians as the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. The Assyrians were the, were the tool, if you will, that God is bringing upon the nation that is rejecting the one they should be serving. They, they, the Israelites should be serving God. They should be hearing from God. They should be not fearing other gods, only fearing the Lord their God. But they failed to do that for generation after generation after generation after generation. And finally now, their time of judgment is coming. Just to give you an idea, the time frame we're talking about, from the time of Moses until this time is about 700 years, give or take 50 years. So it wasn't long before they got into the promised land with Joshua, they began to turn away from the Lord. And it, wasn't, it just continued a, a downfall from little by little. They began to slip away, slip away, slip away. The Lord sent prophets to them. He sent people to them to call them to repentance, and they haven't. And now we're going to find them in judgment. Look at verse 6. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria, and he carried Israel away to Assyria. And he placed them in Halah, and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and the cities of the Medes. What a sad ending to the northern ten tribes of Israel. It's right in line with what the Assyrians did. When they took over a nation, they would take the people of this nation, they would move them over to these nations, they would take the people of these nations, they would move them to this nation. They were trying to create one culture. Hopefully they're stripping everybody of their identities, stripping everybody of their, of, of their, of their families, stripping everybody of, of what, what would unite them as being, you know, do you ever notice when you go, you know, you hear about even the United States as they began to settle in New York in the, in the early days, you had the Italians settled here and this group settled there. The ethnic groups will always kind of tend to grow together. They were trying to eliminate that. They, were, they wanted everybody to become Assyrians. They wanted to just strip them of all their identity. That's what they did to all of, all of their people. And this was all hope in preventing them from uprising against them. It was stripping them of their power, their unity. It was stripping them of their, of their identity there. And now, the amazing thing here is just to make sure we understand why it's happening to Israel. Because there's a tendency, I think, to look at this and go, why isn't God protecting them? They're Israel. They're doing this. Why isn't God protecting them? What's, what have they done that was so bad? If you're joining us, if you've been with us throughout the study of 2 Kings and even into 1 Kings, you completely understand that question. But if you're joining us relatively recently, you, what have they done that was so bad? And he's going to review that in verse 7 there. So look what it says. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they feared other gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. Also, the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city, they set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Their crimes, what the Lord held against them, it was clear. The northern tribes had sinned against God by following pagan practices. They rejected God and, and his ways of doing things, and they went after the way the world was doing things. Simply put, you have God's way, and you have the world's way. They started out in God's way, and it wasn't long before they found themselves following after the world. And now the Lord says, that's enough. 
That's, that's going to be the end. Israel actually became worse. They became more evil than the Canaanites who they themselves were used to judge when they came into the promised land. Their evil, their sin had increased and increased and increased. They got farther and farther away from the Lord. Now, I believe it's important to go back, what we just covered, those few verses, and analyze the passage. Because I think there's a lesson for us to learn here. If it happened to Israel, it can happen to us. So we should go back and go, what exactly happened to Israel? What is it that caused their downfall? What was it that, they, they just seem like people, maybe they're victims in this situation. I think we need to go back and look and see what was it that led to their demise. And out of those few verses, I pulled out four things. Number one, they allowed sin in their lives. They allowed sin in their lives. Look at the end of verse 7. Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. It's the fundamental reason of underlying cause was sin in their lives. It wasn't dealt with. It was allowed to fester and grow. In other words, there was something they were doing wrong, and rather than dealing with it and extracting it and getting it out of there, they just let it go. It's all right. It's not that big of a deal. It's everybody else is doing it. It fits in with the culture. We don't want to be that different. They're looking at us. They're making fun of us. They don't think we're any fun to be around. We want to be like everybody else. They allowed this little bit of sin in their life. And sin is like leaven. It's going to affect everything. It's going to grow and grow and grow. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me talk about it. You've got to. I've got to. We've got to deal with sin in our life. How do we do that? We need to recognize it, first of all, as sin. We need to realize it's contrary to what God wants for us. And we need to repent from it. And we need to turn away from it and can discontinue doing it. It doesn't mean that, oh, what if, I, what, if I make, what if I do that and I do it again? Well, then you do the same process all over again. Well, what if I do it again next week or in two hours? Then you do the same process all over again. Repentance isn't accepting it. It's going, oh, that's just, that's just who I am. That's just the way that God created me. Repentance is I'm turning away from that. You might fall very, in this very same day to the same sin that you were repented from, but you repent again. You see, you realize it's not God's will that I do this, and it's more important that I line up with God's will, and if I do give in to my flesh, I must repent from it each and every time that I fall in that sin, and I continue, and I can't continue walking that. I can't come to the place, ever, and you can't come to the place where you go, it's okay. It's just, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, come on, Rob, you're, you're being too, you're being too ridiculous. It's not that, yes, it is that big of a deal, because it starts out small. They allowed sin in their lives. Number two, they tolerated compromise. Compromise was okay with the world. A little bit of compromise was okay. They feared other gods, look what it says in verse 8, and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. Rather than being different from the rest of the world, they conformed themselves to the godless nations around them. And they eventually became just like them. They allowed a little bit of compromise to seep into their life. What would that look like in our culture today? It would be you doing things that everyone else is doing. A Christian life should stand out as different. When someone comes to your house and they see what you've recorded from your television show or what you're watching on television or what your history on your computer is or your, what's going on in your mind, they, it should be different than the rest of the world. We shouldn't allow this compromise. To get, we shouldn't be just like everybody else. Would you be willing to give your phone or your iPad to the person next to you and allow them to look through your pictures and your history of your internet and all that stuff? Right now, if I said exchange phones, would you do it? Would you be comfortable doing that? You should be. As Christians, we should be different than everybody else. But I know that some of us go, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not really bad. Maybe it's just a little bit of compromise. You see, if it's really bad, you go, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that at all. Maybe it's just a little bit of compromise. Maybe you just thought, well, I just, 
It's just a little bit of compromise. There's just a little bit of mistake I have. There's just a, a little bit of something there. That's how it starts out. That's how, that's how Israel started out. They looked at the rest of the nations around the world, around their, around their area. What are they doing over there? Oh, they look like they're having fun. And they invited them over. Come on over and see what's going on. Come on over to our church and see how we do it. Come on over, just hang out with us for a little while. And then they go. Oh, it's not so bad. No, they, they have, they, they, they're worshiping God too. It's just, they just call him by a different name. It's all, it's all the same God, right? No, it's not all the same God. But that's their compromise seeped into them. They, instead of being different from the rest of the world, they just allowed this compromise. They didn't, they didn't want to stand out. They were afraid, you know, they, they wanted to fit in. Number three, they practiced idolatry. What happened is the sin grew and began to compromise, and the compromise turned into idolatry. Verse 9, also the children of Israel secretly, secretly, notice it started out secretly. They secretly did against the Lord their God the things that were not right, and then secretly became public. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill. Under every green tree, they burned incense on all the high places, like the nations whom, they, whom the Lord had carried away before them. They practiced idolatry. It said it started out secretly. Isn't that how it starts out? It starts out secretly in your life, doesn't it? And then, you, you, and then pretty soon, what are they doing? They're building temples. They're building high places. Because now it's no longer a secret because now everybody's doing it. Now it's become what's commonly accepted in the culture. Let's just, we're going to do this out, out, out loud. We're going we're to let everyone know who we are. Rebellion and sin, they cloud the judgment of men. They'll cloud your judgment. And clearly the judgment of Israel was affected. Their judgment was impaired enough to think they could sin secretly against the God who sees everything. Do you realize that even your secret sins are seen by God? You see, no one else in the room might know. Your family might know. Husbands and wives might not know, but God knows. It started out as a secret, and then it began. Then what happens? How does it grow from there? People begin to get, they get desensitized to it. It, it, it. Desensitization sets in. So what was once a secret, it comes, it's, it's not really talked about, then it gets talked about, then it gets talked about a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Before you know it, what was, what was once evil and never even mentioned is now open on public display. Have you watched our television shows lately? I don't watch them. Most of them I have no interest in watching. But the things that are on TV today would have never flied 20 years ago. The language they use on the radio today wouldn't have flied 20 years ago. The things that they're saying that they just publicly is acceptable 20 years ago wouldn't have happened. How does it happen? It's desensitization. We get used to it. You ever work around somebody that has such bad language for a while? It doesn't, it doesn't even affect you anymore. People often ask me, are you offended when someone has bad language? No, I'm not offended. It never bothers me. Why? Because I spent 15 years as a police officer and heard all kinds of language that you couldn't even imagine. I've heard it all. I've seen it all. I've, I've been there. I've, it doesn't bother me. I, I, I don't use it, but I, it doesn't... I don't get offended by it. I don't, I don't look and go, oh, because I'm desensitized to it. No different than the first time I went to a crime scene and the first time I looked around and I saw some of the stuff. It, it bothered me. I took it home. It was a burden. And after the years go by, it's kind of like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You get used to it. You become desensitized to it. Sin is the exact same way. Have you become desensitized to sin in your life? Does it allow it? Is, is a certain amount tolerable? And I think we come to number four, one of their greatest problems. 
One of the worst things they did. It was, this was all bad. It was all wrong. All bad. Don't get me wrong. It was bad that they allowed sin in their lives. It was bad that they tolerated compromise. It was bad that they began practicing idolatry. But number four, they rejected the warnings of God. You see, God didn't send this judgment without giving them a warning. God didn't send it warning after warning after warning. Look with me at verse 13. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear. They wouldn't listen, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which they had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Verse 16, so they left, they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. When God brings a judgment, he first brings a warning. And oftentimes it's a long time of warnings. It's warning after warning after warning after warning after warning. It's not just happening overnight. It's not just coming down on the nation Israel. It's not just something they did last week. It's something that's been going on for generation after generation after generation after generation. They've completely disregarded the ways of God. They've gone through as far as their children are passing through the fire. We talked about what that means last week. They're serving, they're making, making molten images, wooden images, worshiping all the hosts of heaven. That's the sun god, the moon god, any other thing that they could see, nature gods, whatever god they could come up with, they were worshiping. Everything became more important than the Lord. Practicing witchcraft, soothsaying, they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And God brought warning, warning, prophet after prophet. Do you ever hear the warnings of God in your life? Do you ever hear the Holy Spirit testify to you of something that he says, this is where I need you to change? Will you listen? Will you listen or will you just reject it? You see, Israel kept rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. But the Lord's faithful. He's not given up on them. He's still going to them, warning after warning after warning, waiting for them to repent, waiting for them to come back. And they never do. They never do. Look at verse 18. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel. He removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Of the tribes that went into the promised land, two and a half stayed behind. Ten, uh, the, uh, the other ten went in, or the other, others went in. Now there's no more left of the ten tribes. They're gone. They've been assumed into the Assyrian culture. They're there. Many people 
have wondered what happened to them. Some people say they're lost. Some people th say they, they were moved over into Britain. There's, there's all kinds of theories out there. But they weren't lost. This was a judgment of God against the nation Israel because they had rejected God. In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 13 through 16, tell us that many of the priests and the Levites of the northern kingdom, when this all started to happen, you know what they said? We're getting out of here. We're going back down south. We're going back down to Judah where the temple is. We're going back down to seek the Lord God of Israel. It's quite possible that those that were true followers of God left Israel long before this ever happened. And they would have gone down to Judah to where they were worshiping the Lord at least for a little while longer. Because Judah, Judah will find itself in the same boat in another 120 years. But at least for a little while longer, those who wanted to worship God the way that God had prescribed would have moved down south to Judah and let the nation go the way it did. But look at verse 19. Also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. Spiritually speaking, Judah might have been more faithful to God than the northern kingdom of Israel, yet they also began to imitate their neighbors to the north. They also began to be like them. God's going to give Judah another 120 years before they face the same thing, before the Babylonians come. He's not going to take them yet. Judah has more time to repent. You know what the amazing thing is? If you were in Judah, and you see what's happening in Israel, wouldn't that wake you up? Wouldn't you think, wow. You, th you think they would be able to put this whole thing together. You know, the God that brought us out of Egypt, the God that brought us into the promised land, the God that's protected us when we're serving him. You think they'd put it all together and say, there's no other God for us. But they don't see it either. 120 years, they're going to find themselves in Babylonian captivity. They had an example right in front of them. And we look at them and go, how could you not see it? Now I want you to look at yourself. We have an example right in front of us. We have Israel. We have Judah. We have the people that have gone before us. Will we yield? Will we learn from their mistakes? Or are we going to allow the very same things that seeped into their lives seep into ours? Are we going to allow compromise? Are we going to allow idolatry? Are we going to allow sin just undealt with sin are we going to fail to heed the warnings of the prophets of the holy spirit that the god that god ministers to us you see if we do our, why would our why would our destination be any different it essentially would be the same thing the nation israel is not there anymore sure judah's still there but the the 10 northern tribes we just it just says it so casually there was none left but the tribe of judah alone they're gone. What was once a powerful nation came in and destroyed the Canaanites and occupied a great portion of the land is now wiped out. Why? Because they forsook the Lord their God. They didn't want to do things God's ways. Verse 19. Judah didn't keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in their statutes. They missed the example. Verse 20. The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David and they made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria 
as it is to this day. Did you notice they did not depart from their sins? They did not depart from the ways of Jeroboam. They just continued in them. It was Jeroboam that caused them to leave the true worship of God and led them into, the, into worshiping God falsely. He's the one that built the two golden calves as representations of God. He opened the doorway for idolatry, but the people followed. Be careful who you're following. This is why it's so important that we understand the word of God in the Bible. This is why when we come to church, I want you to open the Bible and follow along with me to make sure you're understanding it and reading it the same way that I am. That I'm not just sitting here talking to you, making things up, and you wouldn't even know if it was the truth or not. It's that we have to understand and we have to know they did not depart from their sins. It started with the, worshiping the true God falsely, remember? Remember what happened with Jeroboam? Went up and remember the nation split? And Israel went north. So we're just going to build two golden calves up here. It, it's God. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. We're just going to worship God here instead of going down to the temple. And then all of a sudden, the backslide started. Then they went from worshiping the true God falsely to worshiping false gods. It began to get worse and worse and worse. And now they find themselves completely in captivity. They've gone too far. There's no way out at this point. They're bound. They're stuck. They cannot be removed. They're in captivity. Verse 24, then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cutha, Ava, Hamath, and from Sarabim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possessions of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. This, this is the strategy of displacement that we talked about earlier. They took the natives of one land, resettled them in another territory they had conquered. Meant while the Assyrians were deporting the Hebrews from, this, from Samaria, they were importing some other nation. They were importing somebody else. And these gentle, Gentile immigrants would be left to intermarry with the ones left behind in their hope was to assume one culture completely doing away with what the previous nation was. Look at verse 25. And so it was, at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of their land. Even the di displaced heathens recognize it as the judgment of God. Isn't that funny? They're not even from, they're not even Israelites from wherever they're from. They recognize there's something going on with the God of this land. There's something going on in here. So they go to the king of Assyria and say, listen, you put people in here, but this land is different. We, don't, we need to know who their God is. We don't know their rituals. You need, somebody needs to send us, teach us about this God because we're getting eaten by lions here. You've got to get us somebody who knows. How is it that these Assyrian officials seem to know that the recently conquered kingdom of Israel, how did they know what Israel didn't know? How is it they got this? How is it they know they had to honor the God of Israel? It shows us the land was special too. Not only are the people special, that land is very special over there. Don't ever make that mistake of thinking the Middle East is just another piece of land. It's not. It's very special to the Lord, and we see that right here. There's not only something special about the kingdom of Israel, but also something special about the land of Israel. God demanded to be feared among the people of the land, even if they came from other nations. He was going to make it happen. But 
But I also think it's interesting to look at the faith of these people, these displaced people that are now living in Samaria. Their faith really wasn't in the God of Israel. They really, they believed there was a God they needed to know about, but yet any faith in the God among these resettled people was found in fear. It was found in fear because they didn't like their circumstance. They didn't like the fact that lions were coming in and eating them. And it was leading them into an inadequate relationship with God. You see, they thought everybody had a God, and this was just the God that we had to worship, and they had no problem with worshiping other gods. So what does the king of Assyria do? Look at verse 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there. Let him teach teach him the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. The problem is they brought back a false priest. He's coming from the priests coming from Samaria. That's, that they, they weren't doing it right or they wouldn't have been in this situation. The priesthood of the king of Israel was corrupt. The king of Assyria didn't know that nor did he care. He wasn't interested in serving the God of Israel. He, he wasn't pursuing religion with Israel. He wanted to stop the lions from eating people. And if this is the way that we could do it, then we're going to go for it. Let's just see if we can stop the lions from eating the people. And he would do anything he had. Look at verse 29. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own. And they put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Succoth, Benoth. The men of Cuth made Negral. The men of Hamath made Ashima, And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak and on and on from there. Burnt, and they burned their children in fire to the other gods, the god of Sepravim. So they feared the Lord. Feared the Lord and did all, did all that. And from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord yet served their own gods. That's an interesting statement, according to the rituals of the nations from whom among they were carried away. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. They gave a measure of respect to the God of Israel. After all, they didn't want to be eaten by the lions. Right? Let's stop them from eating us. We respect you. But they served their own gods, picking and choosing among whatever religious belief they wanted. One commentator, F.B. Meyer, said this, He said, are you sure this is not a true description of your own position? You pay an outward deference to God by attending his house and acknowledging his day while you're really prostrating yourself before other shrines. Wow, that's no joke. How long has the culture of the United States of America been exactly like this? Does this describe Christianity in America? Perhaps we would call it cultural Christianity. Sure, there's a respect and a fear for God, but really we would, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves serving other gods. Other things become more important. Other things are more valuable in our life. Charles Spurgeon said this, he did send lions among them. And it was these lions that converted them. Their teeth and fangs and fiery eyes and thunders of their roars converted them. They must have a God to deliver them. They could not bear the lions, therefore they must fear the Lord who could send the lions, and who perhaps would cease to send them. Now, dear friends, always be somewhat diffident about your own conversion if you can trace it only and solely to motives of terror. Terror. 
Should, should terror, should fear be what causes a conversion in somebody? No. Yet oftentimes in our evangel- evangelizing, that's what we use. We tell them about heaven and hell, and you get to choose where you go. That might be the start of something, but it's the love of God that's going to change somebody's life. When they realize that he paid the price for their sins, and he loves them, and he cares about them. You're not going to give a true conversion from somebody just because they're afraid. They, don't want, to, they want to buy that fire insurance so they don't burn in hell, and you've laid out a good argument for it. Anybody will pray that prayer if you can argue them that well, argue it outright. You lay it out, you lay it out systematically. Do you want to go to hell and burn? No, I'll pray the prayer, then you won't. Okay, great, I'll pray the prayer. And they walk off with nothing changed other than the fact of some false sense of salvation because they prayed a prayer and you told them they were saved or somebody told them they were saved. You see, salvation is us wanting to live after the Lord. It's, wanting, it's, it's when the will of God takes the primary position in your mind and your heart. I want to do God's will. I want to serve God. I want to go after what God wants. Not to say God won't use those times. Because oftentimes it might be that prayer that, that somebody out of terror brings you to the Lord initially, but hopefully it progresses past that because that won't survive in your life. That won't survive because you know what? You're going to forget that. You ever have a bad dream or watch a bad movie and can't sleep? Chances are you forgot about it. The nights go past, the weeks go past, the months go past. You forget about those things. You move on. Time heals all wounds, right? But when you realize what God's done for you, when you realize that he's died on a cross for you and he's paid the penalty for your sins, that's what moves people to change and want to follow the will of God. The nation of Israel here, the people that they're putting in place, they feared the Lord, yet they served their own gods. I think sometimes if we're not careful, that can be our Christianity today. We have an outward fear of the Lord. We go to church on Sundays. Thursdays maybe, Wednesdays, whatever night it is. We have, we have, a, de- we have a desire for godly or, or spiritual things. It's kind of a buzzword in our society. But are you serving anybody else? The greatest God that I think we serve in our society is ourself. We've elevated ourself. I want it the way that I want it. I'm entitled to it. I deserve it. It's, 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 it's me. I want it my way. That's what we tend to do. That's where we make our mistake. We don't make the little wooden idols like they did. We're not, we're not going to high places. Maybe we are. Perhaps it's a sports arena. It would look a lot like a church if you didn't, if you didn't know what was going on there, wouldn't it? What's all the gathering about? What are they doing? What are they worshiping? Oh, look, they're even singing songs. Oh, they even have an altar. They get in the parking lot. They bring their little altar, and they light their little altar, and they put their sacrifice on it. And they eat their sacrifice, right? You could see where that would be. If, if you didn't know any better, you could see where that would be a worship or a cult or a, a draw, a, a religious thing. Don't get me wrong. I like to watch football. I'm, I, 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 you'll find me in football season watching football, but I'm not worshiping it. When it comes to studying the word and preparing for Sunday, I'll miss Saturday's game if I'm not ready for Sunday yet. I know where my priorities lie. It doesn't mean I won't enjoy a football game, but you can see where it can become very easily worship and it can consume someone. It's not just football. I just use that as an example. It could be anything. The nation Israel has been consumed by these very type of things. As Christians, we have to stand out and be different from the world around us. Look at verse 34. To this day, they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord Nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law of the commandments which the Lord had commanded to the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall 
not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and him you shall offer sacrifice. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, the commandments which he wrote to you, you shall be careful to observe forever. Are you careful to do the things of the Lord? You shall not fear other gods, and the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget. Nor shall you fear other gods. Again, how many times have we seen that? Fear, don't fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Some of you might need to hear that. What are you fearing? What is it that's got you afraid? Is there something in your life that you're afraid that, that just it, it invokes fear in you? Why would you fear that if the Lord is your God? He will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Look at verse 40. However, they did not obey. But they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. It's an amalgam religion. It's a mixture. It's they're serving, they're doing whatever they want. They're not completely sold out for the Lord. And their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. The northern ten tribes are coming to an end. This is not the Lord just saying, I told you so. Israel was given fair warning. They were told over and over again. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses pronounces blessings and cursings on the nation of Israel. You can read that for homework if you want. If they obeyed the Lord and they kept his commandments, they would be blessed. But if they rejected the Lord and they disobeyed his commandments and served other gods, they would be cursed. So let's go back 700 years. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And there's curse after curse after curse listed. Now listen, I want to read one to you, verse 28, 36 of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 36. This is the curse that was pronounced against the nation of Israel by Moses if they failed to obey the Lord. 700 years before. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you will serve other gods. Wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment. A proverb and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. 700 years before it happened. Moses said it would happen. He laid it out. If you serve the Lord, you'll be blessed. If you don't, it's going to get real bad for you. Curse after curse is listed. Solomon, after he dedicated the temple. Remember Solomon did, built the beautiful temple for the Lord. And the Lord's going to dwell in the temple. Second Chronicles chapter 7. This is what Solomon said to them. But if you turn away and you forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land which I have given them. And this house which I have sanctified from my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. As for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to the land and this house? They will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity upon them. What a sad ending to the nation Israel, to the northern ten tribes. 
How sad is this that all they had to do was turn back. Any moment before this point, if they would have turned back, I believe God would have redeemed and restored them. I believe everything would have changed. I believe he was waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, 700 plus years, it had gotten so bad, they had come to the point where they weren't going to turn back. There was, they, 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 there was no more turning back. It was real simple. If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me and you serve other gods, you reject me. Eventually, you're going to be taken into captivity by other nations. That's what we see happening tonight in the scriptures. God's word is coming to pass. Now, oftentimes, people want to apply this to our lives. What does it mean to us? What does it look like to us? Well, we're living in a dispensation of grace. That's what we're in right now. It's a dispense. God's judgment, I don't believe, is coming upon us right now. It's coming in a, in a future day. But here's what I know. Life is a lot better when you're obedient to the Lord. A lot better. It doesn't, I didn't say easier. I didn't say easier. Because walking with God is not always easy. But it is a lot better. It is a lot more peaceful. Because you can walk with the Lord and you can endure whatever he puts across your path as long as you're walking with him. But those very four things that did the nation Israel in, them allowing compromise into their life, allowing a little bit of sin in their life, began worshiping other idols, began and failing to yield the prophets or the word of the, you know, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Failing to yield the warnings of God is what brought them to their demise. And those are the same four things that will bring you down too, if you're not careful. Those very same things, just like Israel, if we allow sin in our lives, if we tolerate compromise, if we practice idolatry and reject the warnings from God, we can expect much of the same results. We can know the Lord is patient and the Lord is long-suffering. 700 years for them to get where they are in this chapter. We, un- we unrolled an entire nation governed by God, unrolled, unraveled, fell apart right here. It took 700 years to get to that part any point if they would have listened and they would have repented i believe they would have turned their ways around they could have then been the representation that god had for them to be the nation israel means governed by god that's what israel means it was they were supposed to represent god to all of the other people everyone was supposed to look at the god of israel and go wow look at the god of israel but instead they went inside and when they went inside, they began looking outside. When they began looking outside, they began compromising. They began moving with everybody else, and they rejected their God. The one who had proven so faithful to them. The one who had, year after year, brought them along from Egypt and all the way through, to the, across the Red Sea, through the desert, into the Promised Land, giving them victory over their enemies, all of that stuff. They were lured away by the sin of the world, by what everybody else was doing. It's the same thing that will lure you away. You ever notice, and I'm going to close with this thought. Have you ever noticed that when you, you ever slipped away from God, got a little distant in your relationship with him? You know, sometimes you're right there, you're, you're, you're close and you feel right there. But other times you begin to slip away and you begin to, well, I'm not in the word as much. I'm not studying as much. I'm just not, I'm just not there as much. I, I miss a few weeks in church. I miss a few of this. I miss a few of that. And before you know it, you're going, how did I get here? You never set out to say, I want to slip backwards. I want to to drift away. But how do you get back to him? Figure out what caused it and repent from it. Because every time it happens to me, it's I've let too much of the world slip in. And it's not always bad. It's not always negative. It's not always sinful. It could just be you can let too much of the worldly desires slip in. 
It can be, I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want to get a promotion. I want to get a better job. I begin working hard. And, and before you know it, I'm doing good things. But I'm slipping farther away from the Lord. I'm not doing the Lord's work. I'm doing my work. But I want to provide for my family. I want to, it's not always a sinful thing that pulls us away. Sometimes it's good things with good motives. But it draws you away from the Lord. And essentially it becomes the God that you're worshiping. It becomes the idol that you set up. It becomes the thing that you now bow down to. And before you know it, yeah, I still believe in God. I still, I still give honor to God. But my true worship is the hours I'm spending at work. My true worship is the hours I'm laying, at night, laying awake at night thinking about work. My true worship is my overtime I'm working, how much I'm working. That's where my true worship is. You want to find out what you're worshiping? Where are you spending your time? Break down your week sometime by hours. And I know we all have to work to make a living. I'm not saying that. Take, that, take your free time. Find out where you're spending it. Where are you spending your money? Where's your money go? If you were to go through your checkbook, do an audit of your checkbook, find out where your money's going. Is it going to things of the Lord or is it going to things of pleasure? Not that there's anything wrong with having nice things, but do an audit of your life. Where's my money going? Next, last thing, my talents, the, the, the gifts that the Lord's giving me, what am I doing with them? Am I serving the Lord with them? The Lord's given me an ability to do something, or, or given you ability to do something. Are you serving him with that capacity? Whatever it might be. You see, where you're putting your time, where you're putting your money, where you're putting your talents will pretty quickly tell you who or what you're worshiping. It'll open your eyes to it. If you've never done it, I would encourage you to do it. Take an account. Where am I doing? Where's my time? Break your week down. You're, now I know you've got to work time. Break it down and see where your spare time's going. Where's your extra money going? What do you want to spend it on? You like to give a little bit extra to the Lord? Can't wait to give a little bit of support to missionary? Can't wait to support a thing, something like that? Or is it all about the next thing you can buy for yourself? It's all about the new whatever. And sometimes the Lord's given us great talents and we're not even using them for the Lord. We're not even doing it. We're just doing it for ourselves because it, we want to we be somebody. We, wanna bring, we want people to recognize us. We want to be famous or we want people to know who we are or what we can do or how powerful we are or how, whatever. It's all about us. It's not about the Lord. What are you doing with those things? Let's pray. Father, we just come before you tonight. Lord, sometimes this can be convicting, and I know it should be as we watch the nation Israel. We watch their demise, their slow fade, 700 years worth. As they drifted off farther and farther and farther and farther from you. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here tonight that's in a drift like that, that's been drifting away from you, that they would see this. They would realize that they might be giving you honor. But their worship is going somewhere else. I pray that you'd bring them back, Lord. I pray that they'd repent. Their heart would be to repent and turn back to you. Not, continu not continuing in that direction. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart to do your will. May that truly be our desire, to do the will of God. And may you show us in our lives what that is, what it looks like individually. We want to be pleasing to you. We want our lives to be pleasing to you. And if there's anything that needs changed, altered, corrected, would you show us? In Jesus' name.
Amen.